0: Hey Retention Pros, I'm Noah Rahimzadeh and I lead partnerships here at Malomo. I'm super pumped to continue to chat with ecosystem experts alongside Mariah, who you all already know and love. Say hi Mariah.
1: Hey everyone. As you probably know, Retention Chronicles likes to bring in some of the best retention focused brands in the Shopify ecosystem.
0: But we don't just feature brands. We also feature some great thought leaders in the Shopify ecosystem that serve brands.
1: And because we always want these conversations to be fun, you'll hear us talk with our guests about what they're excited about and what's helped them get to where they are today.
0: We hope you'll stick around to learn and laugh with us.
1: Retention Chronicles is sponsored by Malomo, a shipment and order tracking platform improving the post-purchase experience. Be sure to subscribe and check out all of our episodes at gomalomo.com.
0: All right. Very excited to be recording today. It's actually my birthday. I didn't say that. Uh, John and Rose were at the top, but uh, yeah, recording a pod on the birthday. It's a great time. Great way to spend it. Um, Today, we've got John and Rose from a new awesome agency partner of ours, Fat Earth, joining us to talk all things lifecycle marketing and retention. Um, Hopefully, we'll get into a little holiday preview as well if we have time, but uh, really appreciate you both given us uh an hour here and excited to dive in with you maybe we could just do a super quick intro so uh name role and where you're dialing in from today
2: cool yeah before we get started a quick shout out so no happy birthday um we got a young man on our team antonio martina shout out to antonio if you're listening happy birthday he's turning 28 today so we're really it's proud. great
0: birthday <laughs>
2: yeah it's a, it's a good birthday um i've got ai just recently realized i've got a shared birthday with the ceo of one of our clients um from Graza, which is, which is, I can tell the story of how we discovered it one day. It was over a lot of wine and really good food, but it was an exciting uh, discovery when we, when we realized we had the same the same day. But anyway, before I go too far, Noah, thanks for having us. I'm John Gross, founder and CEO of fatter Media. I'm calling in from Austin, Texas. We're headquartered here. A handful of our, our, our employees are here. We are a fully remote company. And Rose, I'll hand it over to you.
3: Happy birthday, Noah. Thanks, thanks. for inviting us here today. I am Rose Eppensteiner. I am the senior manager of life cycle marketing at Fat Earth, and I am calling in from Cape Town, South Africa today.
0: Wow. I think last time we talked, weren't you like in Mexico or something?
3: (laughs) Yes, I live full time in Mexico. I'm just on an adventure right now. Um, So here on the other side of the world for a month or
0: so wow very cool okay this the this next question appreciate the intros might lead into some of your travels rose but keeping it personal uh at the top we always like to ask one or two things that you're excited about in your personal lives right now whoever wants to start
3: yes mine is very related to my location so i am signing off in a few days to do a big hike in Tanzania. I'm going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. So that's yes. something I'm very excited about coming up. And I hope to be able to report back a successful summit in about T-minus 10 to
0: 12 days. Oh my gosh. is that how, So is that how long it takes to do the hike, 10 to 12 days?
3: It is a seven-day hike. I travel there, have a few days to land and settle, and then We're up the mountain one week without showering. So this is a very clean version of me that you all are seeing that my fellow (laughs) hikers will not.
0: Wow. That is wild. Will this be the biggest hike you've ever done?
3: Yes. It's biggest and highest. Yeah. So a Um, big, big adventure ahead of me.
0: I'm always also curious, like when you, so it's a seven day hike. Is it like you, there are stopping points where there's like, Pre-built things to sleep in, or are you like, you know, is your tent
3: define pre-built. Okay. Uh yeah. the the my understanding is that no, it's gonna be very much a camping situation. So we'll be in tents. And the leader told us, do not expect to get a good night's sleep on the adventure. So my expectations are are set. I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna be sleeping well. I'll be Kind of in the middle of nowhere, but with good company. So, really, what mm-hmm. what 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 can, what, what, can go, what can go wrong?
0: Yes, right. Don't
3: answer. That's a rhetorical question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Amazing. Well, good luck. That is super exciting. Uh, can't Thank wait you to talk about it, um, John. Over to you. What are you yeah, saying? I think I'm gonna
2: i think I'm gonna leverage Rose for my personal no update first of all, living vicariously through her, I typically do, we've got a really great remote culture, and we encourage folks to, you know, take advantage of the way that work is getting done these days. And Rose is a good example of somebody who works really hard, gets a lot of really great work done, runs a very high performing, effective team, but also, you know, knows when to when to let loose and when to have some fun. I think it's really important. And it's a big part of our big part of our culture. So frankly, like getting to see her, getting to see other people on our team, take advantage of these types of opportunities in a way that is healthy, in a way that is structured, and in a way that, you know, allows us, I think, to be a more sustainable business, to not have a group of employees who are always on the cusp of burnout. I'm sure, you know, we're, we're not perfect. We, we make mistakes, but we're trying to strive for a setup in a situation that is a little bit better. And I think that's exciting. And so, you know, actually, I'm very proud to, to see Rose going and taking this trip. Um, and then I think what I'm excited about is I'm going to get some really good sleep. Rose will be on the, on the floor on, a, on some sticks or whatever. I've got a great, great mattress and I sleep really well. So I'll be, uh, I'll be not taking those for granted. I think Rose has reminded me, you know, to, to appreciate the little things like a good night's sleep. Very cool.
0: Okay. Those are both great ones. Do you want to shout out your mattress? What kind of
2: mattress do you have? <laughs> Man, so i someone give me some good advice one time to invest any, invest well into anything that's between you and the ground. So tires, shoes, mattress, and whenever I I was went to grad school, so I kind of had like a long period of time where I had like really kind of cheap dinky mattresses that were easy to move around. And uh, when I got married and got a house, we, we got a nice mattress. We have a temper um Tempur, the exact model, Lux Pure, Ultra Soft. It's like, it's amazing. The one thing that's like the downside is that now when I travel, like I miss my bed. It yeah. used to be the other way around, I would go, oh, man, this hotel is amazing it's way better than my setup, but now it's kind of opposite. And so it kind of plays a little bit of a, a mental trick on you. So yeah, I love it.
0: Love that. That's awesome. Um, I love that. <laughs> Invest well in anything that you, that's between you and the ground. I've never heard that, but it makes a lot of sense. I feel like I'm still in the phase of life where even though I, my birthday 31 today, so I'm probably too old, but I just spent a couple of nights sleeping on a buddy's couch. I can sleep anywhere. It's not a big thing to me, yeah, sure. Um, but I'm sure that it's great. My bed at home is pretty nice. Mariah, we haven't seen you in a while either, so I'm taking it to you. What are you excited about?
1: Um, I'm excited. Well, hopefully I'll get, now that we're just talking about sleep, I love my mattress as well, and I've been in New Jersey for the better part of um, the past month, so and sleep hasn't been well, because just the more people you have, like parents getting up at 5 a.m. I grew up in New Jersey, but live in Indy now. So I'm also excited to get better sleep where I'm not um hearing majority of the household getting up at 5 a.m. Um, but other than that, I have a wedding this weekend that I'm going to Thanks. um in Cleveland that I'm very excited about. And it's good to Thanks. be back here. No, I didn't know it was your birthday either. So way to yeah. drop that yeah. <laughs> in podcast, but I'll um, be sitting in
0: I'm like family. not a big birthday guy at all. And we had our team meeting yesterday and um, we always ask, like, we always ask the same question. And I said that it was my birthday and they were like, you're supposed to tell us those things. Like I perfect. To. Um, cool. So then
1: Maybe I won't send it in our, I'll eat those words that I just said. <laughs>
0: yeah. but Excited still. to get you back in Indy uh, next week after the wedding. Yeah. All right. Cool. Appreciate the the personal updates, everyone. Um, I'd love to maybe start with John, uh, given you're the founder of Fat Earth. On like your background, what made you start Fat Earth, and um, what the agency uh, initially started to focus on, as well as like where you are today, and yeah. maybe to bring us up to to Rose.
2: Yeah. No. I mean, yeah. I can. I'm trying to figure out how long I want to talk here. <laughs> you know, an interesting background, I think, I, you know, I started my career in environmental science, got out of, I got recruited pretty heavily out of college, I got a master's degree at the University of Georgia in environmental science and went to work for this um, big environmental engineering firm based out of Baton Rouge, Houston, and ultimately how I ended up making my way to Austin was through that company. And, you know, I, I got really deep into client services. And so we were essentially, if a big oil and gas company wanted to get a permit, for example, They would come to us with this unstructured problem. Hey, we want to accomplish this in this particular area. How do we do that? And it was my job to put the project plan together, put the strategy together, and then make sure that it was all executed very well for the client. And then, of course, letting the client know exactly what's going on every step of the way, making them feel comfortable and and letting them really understand the bigger picture. Cut to, I I got this opportunity. I didn't really love the job In, in some ways. I was really good at kind of like the business development and the marketing side of it and also the um, the customer service side. And I quickly realized that at our company, I didn't think anyone really understood what the company's limiting factors were. And something you're hearing me talk about a lot, we'll probably go through that when it, as it relates to, to marketing. And I quickly realized like what we were bad at was marketing and sales and customer service. But all these people who were technical experts, who were crazy, brilliant scientists, but like they didn't have enough work to do, right? Yeah. So I, I quickly realized that you know, there's a big gap there, particularly in these types of industries. I ended up getting the opportunity to go travel, which is coincidentally how I met Rose. And I realized at that point, I kind of want to make a little bit of a career change. Started looking for jobs I could take on the road with me. I was going to know I was going to be traveling for about a year. I really just want to make ends meet. So I started to see these, you know, jobs for or job openings for remote work that were that were specifically in the marketing industry. I had technically had no marketing experience I was applying for these very junior very entry-level jobs and in 2017 2016 2017 remote work wasn't as widely available as it is now it's totally different it wasn't that long ago but it's way different and so i couldn't get any callbacks i couldn't figure out how why can i not get a you know i had a master's degree i consider myself a hard worker relatively intelligent uh but i couldn't get my foot in the door so i just decided like screw this i'm going to teach myself how to do it and so i started taking classes on google ads I started just absorbing everything I could. I actually convinced that previous company to, to send me to some marketing training. And then this may surprise you, I actually started taking ads out for myself on Craigslist, saying that, hey, look, I can do your Google ads. And that snowballed I actually started getting some calls, started having some sales meetings, started landing some clients. An agency friend of mine heard what I was doing and was like just kind of so impressed that I was being scrappy and just going for it, that they offered me a job. I came in, I ended up being one of the more productive you know, account managers, really just threw myself into all things marketing. And again, really realized that that agency, the gap was in strategy, customer service, hospitality. It wasn't that there weren't people on the team that didn't know Google Ads. It was kind of this bigger picture thinking that more sophisticated brands really need, right? You have to have great execution, but it's kind of this bigger picture thing that I think is generally missing in the market. And so I ended up working with that agency for a while, went out on my own, was just kind of consulting by myself and just kind of being a freelance consultant. And then I decided one day I really wanted to make a real go of it. Ended up reaching out to to Rose and a couple of other people, got them on part-time. We were just kind of operating this book of business. And then we got really serious. We formalized the company and really, you know, started building process, started building procedure. And, uh, you know, honestly, the rest is kind of history. Had a couple of really good uh, experiences, Got introduced to Magic Spoon pretty early. We were their their primary media buying team for their first, you know, I think twenty four months. Yeah, our aisle, our place, cookware, and so we had a few um, companies early on that really skyrocketed our growth. And so, you know, f- formally early on, we were really just focused on media buying. That was my expertise at the time. I'd come up through Facebook and Google, but I think even in early twenty nineteen, I just I our thesis, my thesis was that we were gonna be an at-risk business if we only focused on media buying, particularly through Meta, particularly through Google. iOS 14 comes around, made me look pretty smart, but I think you know what that caused us to do was to build and invest in additional channels, specifically uh, lifecycle marketing, specifically creative, and some around CRO and website. So we can talk about that way, we don't do too much of that. And so what we wanted to build was a more diversified company that could give our clients a small suite of really core expertise to allow them to grow their business and actually not only de-risk our business, but de-risk their businesses. And so everything that we do at Fat Earth is really really revolves around this framework of find, win, grow. You've You've got to improve your traffic sources. How are we actually getting people to your website? You've got to understand how to get them to convert. And then you've got to hand them over to Rose and her team and let them improve the lifetime value. And so we, yeah, again, we have a few core services that really aim at fixing those three problems for our clients. And then what really separates us is that we have invested very heavily in our creative team. So whether you're improving your traffic, improving your conversion rate, or working on life cycle, everything across that entire touch point or across that entire funnel is very well thought out. And the creative execution against that strategy is you know, very high end. And so for us, it's this, that's really one of our, I know you gotta, maybe want to talk about things that differentiate us. I think that's really key is the holistic approach to strategy and the fact that like creative is this, you know, uh, pretty impressive wrapper on everything that we do. So right now we're kind of evenly split 30% across paid mm-hmm. media lifecycle and creative. Um, and that's really comfortable for us. And it gives our clients access to like, you know, a lot of firepower across their entire marketing stack.
0: Wow. Lots to
2: unpack
0: myself. Sorry. Yeah. No, was, I mean, given the the story, I think you, you know, tied a bow on it really nicely, but holy cow, what a journey. Okay. Uh, first question and Rose, I'm going to come to you in a second, but um, I want to stay on, on John for a couple things real quick. Environmental science master's degree to paid ads. I'm curious, like, Obviously that's a big jump overall, but why did you, you know, you knew that you liked marketing. Why was it paid ads that like drew the most attention
2: yeah. from the get go? I mean, honestly, uh, the answer is, is very easy. At first it was a means to an end. I saw this opportunity for, I wanted to do this thing. I wanted to accomplish this goal, have this experience. And Google ads were were a, a way that I could do that. It allowed me to have this flexible lifestyle and I, I could wrap my head around it. It was very, at first, I thought it was very technical. My environmental science background is was very technical. It had a lot of statistics, a lot of biology, a lot of chemistry, a lot of math. And so for me to go from that to Google Ads actually was like relatively easy. Um, and then again, like, uh, w- but the point, like why I stuck with it and why I think I ended up being so good yeah. at it is because I realized that the keystrokes from an environmental science perspective of me running running these massive projects for Shell, Exxon, Chevron, like what those folks really wanted was to feel comfortable in the approach and the progress and in the, the charisma, right? They weren't so worried about the nth degree of detail on what type of soil composition that particular plot of land had. They wanted to know like, are we on track, right? It's It's, it's almost that simple. And I think like, Once I understood the, you know, uh, the basics of the platform, I could actually add more value than the majority of my peers by going a bit upstream. Does that make, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I also think that like, you know, I mean, just using Maloma as an example, we, um, we measure attribution in, you know, in, in, through integrations, basically, like we until recent, very soon, we'll have our own attribution model, which will be a huge unlock for us. But because we measure attribution um, in Klaviyo or in Shopify or in um, Google Analytics, like we can't clearly show that progress sometimes, or it's like not as easy for merchants to digest. And I think on the paid ad side, Google ads, like there's a pretty clean dashboard that shows you what you're spending and what you're making. Right. And you can look at that daily, weekly, monthly. And so I think, w- would you agree that like, because it's so clear to see that progress you're talking clients need and and want for validation that that was part of the reason?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that made it relatively easy to sell the story to, to show those results. Um I, you know, I think another big reason that I ended up getting so excited about this new opportunity was like because of the environmental science background, I actually realized with the help of of another friend and early business partner, we I could actually make a bigger impact on what I was trying to do by having a marketing agency. And so one thing I left out that is actually probably the most important part of the whole genesis of Fat Earth is like we were set up exclusively to work with mission driven brands. And so for me, like it was this interesting kind of closing the loop to say, I've got this background. I won't, you know, I was actually kind of unhappy with the work I was doing because at the end of the day, my job was actually just to keep Shell and Exxon from getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. I wasn't actually making a positive positive impact. And mm-hmm. I realized that there was all these brands, particularly in early 2016, 2017, that were starting to really adopt these um uh mission driven for purpose approaches, right? B Corp was becoming important, 1% for the planet, those types of things. And very early, we quickly aligned with a very great and core set of customers who that was their entire reason for existing, whether it whether it was environmental science, whether it was, you know, educating kids in historically uh, undervalued areas or historically underinvested areas. you know, and so we worked with all manner of brands that were set out originally to do some good. And oh, by the way, how we're gonna do that good is through world class digital marketing. And that's always been a hypothesis is like, If you come to Fat Earth and you have a mission, then we're actually not only going to help your bottom line, we're going to, this is what we say internally, we're going to elevate the the baseline of consumer behavior because we think that if we put our time and attention behind product A instead of behind product B, we're going to give product A A a better chance to win. And if that product is doing things in a better way, well, then we're actually, we're doing some good, right? If a consumer decides to purchase your product because we've you know, um, properly articulated the value of the reusable packaging or the lack of plastic or the fact that you're donating back to to school systems, then we've made a real impact. And what we've seen is that over the course of, I'm not saying we've done this, but over the course of us paying attention to it, we've seen uh, better supply chains, right? People focusing on things that are taking care of, you know, uh, I'm just going to use a specific example, like the women that work at one of the clothing shops in Guatemala, one of our clients, they're well taken care of. That only works if that particular client is selling enough product. We're also seeing that venture capital firms are taking that really seriously. Consumers want brands to do things in a better way. Now, I think we're also in an interesting time period where like, there's maybe a lot of greenwashing going on. We could do a whole podcast just on that. But, you know, I think it's it's important for for agencies to kind of, you know, pick and choose who they want to work for to stand for something. And what's interesting for us, and I think Rose can attest, is like we've ended up relating to our clients on something beyond just performance, beyond just bottom line, and it's created these really fantastic and amazing relationships. And I think it's been one of the key differentiators for us and why we've been able to experience, you know, the level of success that we have. Awesome. Awesome.
0: Love that. We actually, we just had EcoCart on our... on the oh, cool. Podcast.
2: Yeah, yeah. We're we're chatting with them right now. Yeah, Yeah.
0: you work with them as well. Okay, last question for you, uh, John, and then I want to go over to Rose. So you started started with the Craigslist ad thing for paid media, which is hilarious to me. Um, And you got some clients. I imagine that they weren't the magic spoons of the world. Maybe I'm wrong. But like, how did you end up in the Shopify ecosystem um, after starting with just these like ad hoc projects on?
2: Yeah, so I mean, first of all, like, back to the craigslist thing like that's become like a almost like a mini legend in a way within our team is particularly when it comes to hiring if someone's out there listening that ever wants a job with fat earth this is going to be a huge hint we really really index on people that just figure shit out right like another thing that i say all the time the half-life of a media buyer is like six months Mm -hmm. and so like that craigslist strategy would not work today yeah It it wouldn't make any sense it would get us in front of the wrong group of people I don't even know. I've never, haven't used Craigslist probably since. But the point is, like, because of the nature of the work that we do, regardless of whether you're in creative lifecycle, paid media, you need to be the type of person who is willing to always be at the front line of what's working and be the type of person who's going to, when you hit a roadblock, you're going to go, well, I'm going to go find this answer. I'm going to figure out a way to get through that. And I think, like, that little story just kind of sums up what makes a good agency good and a bad agency bad. If you're doing the things that are able to be explained, then you're six months behind. Like the majority of the work that we do that is really good is in front of the the Twitter gurus or in front of what's happening on LinkedIn, because once it's there, it's kind of like old hat. I don't know. So anyway, that's not really what you asked me. Um, But I I think it's really important. Um, what, What was the question? No, that's, I.
0: well, I love where you took it. Um, and it, yeah, I think. Oh, that, how do
2: we get into Shopify? So yeah, so that's really like how I got my start, right? I think um, I got a few clients I was working and really what that did was got me some attention for some other agencies. And my, my first real job after I did the Craigslist uh, adventure was, was with an agency. And that agency had clients that were in the Shopify ecosystem. So that's really where I got the more formal training, got out of just doing it by myself, Got exposure to running clients. And that, you know, I was running seven or eight accounts, doing all their media buying, Facebook, Google. You know, at that time, like we were doing a little bit of everything as a really small shop. And so I was helping brands with back end code. I was helping brands stand up Shopify websites. I was helping hire developers off of Upwork and places like that to, you know, kind of doing a little bit of everything. And it it was a good, a really good marketing education. So that was essentially how that transition um was facilitated.
0: Got it. Okay. Yeah, I feel like if you're in, uh, you know, paid ads, and then subsequently lifecycle marketing, you're gonna end up around, especially around that time, 2017, 2018, Shopify's, you know, yeah. making storm and makes a whole lot of sense. Okay, Rose. Uh, John hinted at the how you met story, and I want to first ask about that, <laughs> and then uh, get to uh, get to what made you decide to join him from whatever you were doing before that meeting <laughs> or the call, I should say. We
3: have a pretty epic origin story, I would say, that that rivals the beginning of many people's friendships. I'll let you all decide that. But <laughs> the way that we met is through travel, as he alluded to. I worked for a company called Remote Year, which put together work and travel programs for folks who had remote jobs. John went on a remote year program with his now wife, and I interviewed them to determine if they were qualified to come on the program. So I won't tell you what those qualification metrics were, but after about, let's say, 45 seconds in the conversation, I was like, these folks are epic. They can come on this trip. They can come on this program. So yeah, you could tell it's a really very rigorous process. Um, As John went through that, that process that he described of like, how am I going to, you know, find a a remote role to to ensure that I can do this program um, while he was doing that, I was traveling the world with this company. Eventually him and his wife made it work. And we met for the first time, did we meet at the beginning of your program, John, in
2: Croatia? Yeah, right it? in Croatia,
3: yeah. Yeah, yeah. So a virtual friendship turned into real-life friendship, starting in Croatia. And actually, as I said, I'm in Cape Town now. We also were in Cape Town together. Um, and that was just, yeah, the beginning of very epic times, adventures all over the world. And um, I think also at the time when we... Um, started that that friendship, there must have been some telepathy connection because I had made the decision in my mind that I was ready to move on from um, oh, yes. my adventures at remote year after about three and a half years there. But I hadn't told anyone yet. And a few days after I mentally made the decision, I get a text from John and he was like, so are you ready to come join me at the marketing agency I'm starting? And we had previously talked about how one day it would be cool to work together and we would kind of joke about it, like knowing that maybe it was a possibility in the back of our minds. But um when that happened, I was like, this is definitely this is definitely the sign and the timing. And I was like, well, you're the first to know, but yes, thank you for the offer. I accept. Uh my current job doesn't know it yet. I'm gonna let them know, and give them some time to process, but let's make it happen. So that was in, uh, around the summer of 2019 and towards the end of 2019 is when we officially started working together. Fun fact, I had never heard of Clavio, but John trusted me and I trusted him. And honestly, that is, I think the most important beginning to have or that that strong foundation. Right. Um, and I tell people that all the time when they kind of ask about my work history and how I've evolved from getting my, uh, degree in journalism, then becoming a high school teacher, then working for a travel company. And now, uh, (laughs) running the life cycle part of a, of an agency. That is something I always mentioned that from the beginning, like as a person, I trusted and still do trust John so much as a human. And that is just the only thing really that mattered to me when he was like, do you want to come? Help me figure out this marketing agency thing. I was like, "Yeah, I trust you, and you trust me because you asked me. So let's do it." Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I can't believe it's it's been this long that we've been doing it together. But um, as you can see, it's been an adventure from the beginning, literally.
0: <laughs> literally an adventure. Thank God, yeah. yeah. Blow that interview. Uh, that been right? kind of have been
3: disastrous. Been
0: disastrous. <laughs> if, if, if we had. It. Unbelievable. Okay, so I'm curious how, um, like, how did you end up in the lifecycle marketing role? Like, was there anything in your past experience that made you feel confident in stepping into it? And I'd also love to just go on to the next sort of topic and talk about um, how you balance retention with lifecycle marketing and how you think about those two things sort of um, being intertwined in your, in your daily activities
3: yeah so i think at the beginning it was quite natural right because john said his experience was more on the paid side and (laughs) at the time when when we were determining if we wanted to venture into the life cycle side of marketing as well we had clients that were asking about it so we thought it would be a natural offering to make available to those existing clients and kind of dip our toe in there, so really it made a little cool. bit more
0: sense. Really yeah, cool. um, just to clarify, like what what would be a normal ask from a merchant? So you're running, you know, paid ads, and they're like, "Can you do lifecycle marketing?" I, I'm sure they didn't use that. they were probably like, "Can you help us now grow this business?" <laughs> like, what what were they really asking for?
2: Well, I, sorry, Rose, not to jump in, but like, it actually a lot of times we go the other way around. Oh, interesting. You know, yeah. we were we were pretty assertive early on to let our clients know where we thought they were missing out on revenue, right? Yeah. Think back to when we were talking about like this was a time when media buying was relatively straightforward. You could get massive ROAS if you had decent creative, decent website, and people weren't really focusing on lifecycle marketing as much as they are now. Yeah, and so we were for a lot of our clients like we were going in and saying, look. You're actually not hitting your revenue goals not because your cost per acquisition isn't good enough it's because or your traffic isn't good enough it is that website it is that that lifecycle marketing piece so they would they would ask us for help but a lot of times we were like presenting to them hey what if you took this seriously here are the numbers like what if we could actually improve this metric this metric this metric so it was sometimes both ways but a lot of times it was us going in and saying and the same thing for creative like that's why we have a creative team. I got tired of running ads for brands who didn't have a good creative, so we yes. said, well, we'll just we'll just do creative, right?" And it, it ended up evolving into something that's very uh, cohesive and holistic.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, so you kind of, but your your expertise on the paid ad side is what led you to realize, like, maybe where there are gaps there, but also like how the lifecycle part can fuel right more LTV from. Um, those customers that you're paying to acquire. Yeah. I mean, again, like
2: going back to, I think you can kind of pick out from all my conversations. Like I don't, I'm personally not the type of person that wants to be a single specialist. Like I got into this through paid media. That was my expertise. I think I was as good of a media buyer as pretty much, you know, really anybody doing it. But I also like at all times was focused on bigger picture ideas for my brands. And sometimes like they would hire us for Facebook we would double their ROAS, but the way that we would do it was through a website improvement. Mm. In, in 2019, like that wasn't something a lot of people were... A lot of people were listening to this going, I was doing it in 2019. Of course you were, but a lot of brands that we were talking to weren't thinking about it. Yeah. So it was a big unlock for a lot of our clients is to say, maybe you don't actually have a Facebook problem or maybe you have a Facebook problem among many. And that yeah. was for a lot of our clients, a big eye-opening Kind of statement at that time because a lot of these D to C brands just launched off of the back of thinking that Facebook in and of itself was a business model, and we were coming in and saying maybe it is for you, but what if we also had a good website and we also tripled your LTV, right?
0: Right. What if what if you know conversions through like clicks to conversions increase ten percent? What does that mean? Because exactly you have improvements. Um, yeah, and we talk about this exact thing a lot, which is where I, I wanted to go, the retention to, or basically CAC to LTV, right? In today's day and age, and especially around the holidays, which are coming up, brands are never going to spend more money than they ever have before <laughs> on Facebook and Google and, and paid media overall. Um, But I think that a lot of times brands make the mistake, and this is sort of alluding to what John just talked about, of spending so much time on the acquisition side that retention tactics go by the wayside. And now you've spent, it doesn't matter, just picking a number, you spent $100 to acquire a customer and on their first purchase, they only returned 50, right? Because that's your AOV. Now you have to get them back for a second purchase. And if you have dropped the ball on your retention marketing tactics and you never get them back. You're just 50% cocktail LTV, Like it's a horrible, horrible ratio with media buying costs going so, so high up now. Um, keywords being impossible. Like it's app, it's literally mission critical. Like it's an ex- existential crisis. If brands can't, um convert customers back to buy again because most brands today aren't first purchase profitable anymore. So Rose, from your perspective, is that something you take into consideration and sort of how do you how do you think about that?
3: Yeah, it's it's something that we talk about with all of our clients Thank and you. what we think is so crucial and so important is something that you know John was alluding to before is we're not thinking about these touch points as kind of singular one-off campaigns that we're sending out. We wanna be able to tell a story. We really wanna be able to show value. And the way that we're gonna be able to do that is, is if we have that clear story from our clients, right? And if we all have uh, that, that kind of streamlined connection, right? Between what is the story that we're telling in facebook instagram tiktok ads how are you relaying that via email and text message campaigns is that connected to what's going on in the website any pr pieces that are being sent out by the client and having having that cohesion there is is critical for us and this question of like first time purchase to second time purchase to third time purchase and what kind of that you know, the whole customer journey looks like, I mean, that's like what the core of lifecycle marketing is, right? Which is why we talk about life cycle marketing and really say, you know, that's the service that, that we're providing to our customers. Like, how are we making a positive impact on the site visitors, customers, subscribers, to influence their behavior as they move through all of those touch points. We're not just thinking of a singular one. We're thinking of it as kind of this whole ecosystem, uh, which is, you know, I think why it it obviously connects to this concept of the life cycle of the customer, of the subscriber, of, of the site visitor. So we want to make sure that we're providing, like I said, that the positive influence to move them through the journey. And that it's not just siloed into these single touch points that we're able to zoom out and see how all of that is working together on all the different channels that our, that our clients are using.
0: Yeah, makes total sense. I think that goes back to what John was talking about, like the ethos of find, win, grow. Um, mm-hmm. And it sounds to me like, you know, telling a, a unique advantage or sort of what sets Fat Earth apart in your thinking is like, Thinking about that as a cohesive experience, and not just we're just focusing on bringing these customers into the top of funnel. You're actually thinking about like top of funnel to subscription sign up and beyond, for example, or mm-hmm. whatever that brand's main lever is for for um, growing LTV over time. If you, if you, and feel free either of you to jump in, but on the grow side, that's kind of where Malomo <laughs> comes in. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would say that the equivalent to that is sort of retention marketing. Um, what are the two or three levers that you suggest uh, all of your customers or most of your customers, depending on their different uh, sort of core businesses, implement to facilitate that growth um, of their existing customer base? Um, I can jump in. Yeah.
3: yeah, I can jump in here. One of the, things that we talk about a lot with our clients is the importance of strategic content planning and that can sound like a little bit general like what is strategic content planning so I'll get a little bit more granular here but it is so important that we are able that we have the ability to look monthly and quarterly at what we're pushing out specifically I'll talk about life cycle channels but we connect it across all of the the channels that the client has with our agency, all the services that they have with our agency. But for example, with email and SMS specifically, we can't just be firing out campaigns at random, right? It's not gonna make an impact. It's not gonna tell that story, or like I said earlier, have a positive impact on moving the subscribers through the customer journey. We need to be able to see, okay, What content themes are we pushing out this month? And how do those connect to the goals that we're trying to accomplish over the quarter and over the course of the whole year? From those content themes, what messages are we building? What channel are we pushing them on? Is it an email campaign? Do we need to work on revamping the automations? Is it on SMS? Is it actually a push notification because the client has an app? And then who are we sending those messages to, right? Like the segmentation piece of all of it is one of the most important things and something that I can talk about for hours and hours when it comes to lifecycle marketing. Another super, super important lever that we have incorporated to every part of our planning is the segmentation and making sure that that's a part of the strategy as well of who we're talking to and are we hitting them with the right content at the right time based on where they are in the customer journey. So we put a lot of time and energy into that monthly, quarterly planning to make sure that the individual touch points have the amount of impact that are gonna that is going to allow us to to reach the client's goals.
0: Love that answer. I feel like it, it's a little bit unique, Mariah, to anything we've heard before when it comes to like retention. So and it's it's also very tactical, right? Like merchants who are listening can start to think about
2: that and implement
0: some of this stuff immediately. John, were well, you gonna mention? Well, I think,
2: no, I mean, first of all, I'm so happy that you know to say that planning is the biggest lever that we have. I, first of all, 100% agree is what I would have said as well. The point is that that I mean that's why we call it lifecycle marketing. It's not just retention, and we have all of these individual levers that fall under that what we see when we go audit behind other agencies or just brands running themselves, they, they tend to have relatively high levels of execution in a silo. But the customer experience across each of those individual sets of executions is really bad because there's no planning. And so like Malomo, for example, what do we want to accomplish with those particular touch points? And if you don't understand the customer's journey and how that touch point is influencing the third, fourth, or fifth, you're potentially setting that customer up for a bad experience and potentially that bad experience or that, you know, how you've calibrated that experience isn't actually in line with your business's objectives. I'll give you a real example. We see oftentimes that people think that subscription is the most important thing for their business. Now, for a lot of our clients, it absolutely is. And we are, we push subscription and we are very, very intricately involved with our client subscription models. However, some products, in my opinion, aren't inherently subscribable. So if they're not, and if your customers are asking you based on their data to do something different, then in our post-purchase series on day 22, 21, we shouldn't be trying to get them to necessarily subscribe. And so I'm just kind of highlighting the fact that there are different time between orders. There are different customer journeys that make sense. And a lot of times we see a good email in a decently set up flow that's just inherently wrong for the business. Yeah. And I think that like when, we, when we talk about planning, that's really what we mean. And like, if you don't have that established first, how could you possibly deliver the right emails in the right places at the right time? And I would argue in those cases where you don't have a high degree of subscribability for your product, and we can talk through what that really means, then you're better off doing a replenishment series. You're better off figuring out a way to keep people engaged, have those quarterly promos. And when I say promos, they don't have to be discount based, but like, there's a lot of things you can do to drive retention that isn't just subscribe, 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 because if that's not aligned with a really great customer experience, then you're gonna struggle. Now you got a, a brand like Graza, for example, people really want to subscribe. So our goal is to make that process, you know, as frictionless as possible. And that's a whole different set of strategies, but I think I'm really happy that, that, that Rose said planning. Um, I think another big lever is design. It's, it's another one I think people overlook, I think particularly because in the D 2 C space, we've, we've somehow confused complexity and design. Right. And so when I look at a website like ritual Health, ritual vitamins, beautiful website, incredibly simple, incredibly effective see other DSC websites or emails that are like, they, they're pretty when you first look at them, and then you go, what does this email want me to do? And I think that's a really core tenant that we try to bring into there. We we can quickly get into a, an account and go, you know, the creative director loves the emails, but no one's clicking the buttons. No one's taking the action that we want to take. So that A-B testing and that design element, I think is what, probably one of the most powerful levers that you can pull, and so, you know, I would just, maybe you'll pay attention to that to see emails that on the face of them look really beautiful. We actually just audited for a really big uh, footwear company here in Austin. All their emails have men's products, women's products, three or four extra little sections. And you yeah. go through it. And at first, you're like, oh, this is a really pretty email because they have a very strong brand. But then you're like, well, is it actually achieving any real goal? And so I think just like with performance marketing, just like with paid media, that balance of brand and creative functionality is incredibly important. And it's something we see that's often overlooked in in retention programs and lifecycle marketing programs.
0: Awesome. A lot to unpack there. Um, and we have a couple minutes. I want to get to the holiday preview if we can, but I do want to sort of go back, John. I think what you mentioned about like the, the subscribable brands or products, I should say, um, is really interesting. Like it made me think, um, of a play like that, merchants could possibly run if they're not sure, you know, how um, valuable a subscription program would be to their merchants. Is like you can always test that out by running replenishment campaigns, right, and seeing what the demand for um, subscription looks like. Like if nobody's buying in your replenishment flows, because then your then your time frame's is probably too far off, and yeah. you're. Um, subscription program based on that time that timeline that you've rolled out for a replenishment program isn't going to work either right like you're pretty pretty confident that's the case so you can tweak that replenishment flow based on customer cohorts if you want get even more granular um, and figure out like how how valuable not only how valuable a subscription program would be and how much in demand it is but also like a whole bunch of um, campaign tweaks that that you kind of identify up front before you go invest the time, a bunch of time and energy into it. Would you agree?
2: No, I totally agree. I think that's a really good point. We also have like a little checklist internally that helps our clients. I mean, you can, you can get to a lot of these answers um, with a little bit of common sense, right? And we could break down the different type of product categories. I'll use one example. If you're a protein bar company and you have a package that's 31 protein bars is my subscribability or is my time between order one month? It seemingly could be, but how many assumptions do we have to make to get there? Yes. It's the only snack they're eating. They're eating it every day, yada, yada, yada. So, like, you start to kind of think about how many assumptions do I need to make in order to come up with this time between order? The more assumptions you have to make, the less likely that time between order is real. And so, I would kind of work backwards from the actual use case of the product. And, like, with subscription, one, one thing that we see is when I'm, I'm doing a sales audit or, or going through a strategy with a new client. Let's say, oh, yeah, we have subscription. Like, well, you do you? Like, well, you downloaded one of a few subscription softwares and you have the widget on your EDP, but you don't have any marketing around it. You don't have a dedicated landing page. You haven't worked it into your lifecycle marketing in a real way. So, yes, you have the ability to be subscribed to, but you don't have a subscription program. And for us, we actually see that as a massive opportunity because if you can get that subscription program, like from a high level aligned with how customers are actually using your product, then to facilitate that with all of the tools, Malomo, Clavio, SMS, loyalty is one we haven't talked about. Then you can really move the needle because you understand how people are using your product. And I think like, again, that all ladders back to what Rose said first, the biggest lever we see across 99% of the b2c brands we work with is strategy and planning. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Really good tactical stuff there. Okay, we're running up at time and I do have a hard stop in like 3 minutes. So, let's let's do uh 2023 holiday preview one. Um either like prediction or something that you think will be unique about this year. Um I think you both have a unique perspective cuz you you know, you start at the top of the funnel and you work all the way through subscription program thoughts and strategies. So, um Rose, let's start with you and then go to John
3: my prediction and also my hope just as a consumer and a marketer is that authenticity is going to win so brands who are speaking honestly with their consumer base their values are really shining through and they're not using gimmicks or tricks to try to get consumers in or retain their their customers they're going to win not only this year but in the long term and I think that's like the asterisk I want to say, like the long term, really not relying. I'll double down on this. Not relying on um, kind of tricky list building techniques or uh, trying to do these really flashy offers to to get these folks into their list or um, their customer base. The the consumers that that we're speaking with are smarter than ever like we know when brands are trying to trick us or they're coming off as as inauthentic so um assume that consumers are smart because they are and and the brands that respect that and let their authenticity shine through in the way that they communicate and what they offer uh those are the brands that are going to
0: win And I feel like I love that answer. I think it goes back to what we're talking about is like the absolute necessity in driving repeat purchases. Like if you exactly, you know, if you go do that hacky list building thing and you get a quick bump, like you might have just lost Mm -hmm. money. Right. Like if you didn't pay attention to being authentic throughout the rest of the journey, you might have just lost a ton of money for your brand and you know, brand equity as well. So I love that answer. Exactly. A lot of the things we talked yeah. about sort of support that answer as well,
2: John. I've got a couple SMS. We saw a huge in, increase in 2022 with how much revenue was driven through SMS via the, through the holiday period. If you're out there, really focus on that. Get those communications in line with what you're doing. Again, go back to planning. That SMS messages have the same discount, or needs to be segmented to a list that's getting a particular discount. So really pay attention to the to, to the, the nuts and bolts there. Um, we did a whole debt for 2022 trends and predictions. We can send it over if you want to link it in oh, cool. the podcast notes. But you know, one thing that we see and we've continued to see, particularly with paid media and lifecycle marketing, there's a huge period between Thanksgiving and the end of December where people are still really, really, really primed to buy. That's where I think Malomo comes in. Obviously, one of the big things for us to look at for all of our clients, when is that? what is that shipping cutoff date? And if you can really focus in on that and make a big push right before, typically it's like December 19th, that little period of time, 15th through 19th, cost per impressions are down. People aren't doing as much advertising. People aren't promoting their, their big sales. It's a really great window. And then again, after Christmas, we call it Q5. A lot of people call it Q5. It's a nice little place to get a bump. And we've seen every year that it's it's a pretty heavy trend. So yeah, leverage Maloma. Get, get your customers the shipping information they need. And I think that that period of time uh, is, is incredibly important.
0: I love that. Appreciate the shout out too. We it's I just, true. I mean it really works. Yeah. yeah. We just did a podcast or a webinar um with a couple of our partners around like the whole period post Black Friday up until January 1st and talked a lot about some of those themes, John. Um cool. love that tactic, the the tactical advice there. Okay. Uh we we did it. We went right up to the hour. This was fantastic, Rose. Awesome of you to join us from South Africa and John, great to finally meet you, um, you know, live in the, on the pod. Um, Yeah, you as well. Always appreciate the time and excited to get this one out to the listeners.
2: We appreciate it. I'll send this deck over if you want to include it so your listeners can see it. Uh, Mariah, great to meet you. Noah, thanks for having us. We appreciate the hospitality. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Talk soon. Thanks, everyone.
1: Thank you. you, Bye. Bye. Bye.